0: Good morning, South Oaks Church. I am so glad you're here today, both uh, in person and online. We welcome you. We're glad you're here. Uh, As you saw in that video, it talks about Paul praying, the verse in Ephesians, praying that people would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And it would be a mistake if we looked at Solomon and we thought, isn't that a nice story? And we didn't ourselves want that revelation from the Spirit of God in our lives as well. So as we look at the message today, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 4, studying the life of Solomon, king of Israel. And we've looked at the way that God gave Solomon wisdom so far, how he began his reign by asking God for help, for wisdom, to govern the people. And this wisdom wasn't just to be able to hand out wise judgments as we saw last week, but as we're going to see this week, it's also to help Solomon in organizing and leading the administration of his kingdom. So today, our title is Wise Management. Uh, What does it mean, everyone? What does it mean to be a wise manager? Making good decisions for your people. Making good decisions for your people. Using resources wisely. Knowing what you're supposed to achieve. achieve. Getting the people involved as well, yeah. All very good answers. You want to oversee things well. You want to make good decisions. If you're going to have a successful organization and you can't do it all yourself. So you got to be in management a little bit here with the people under you. So as we read today in uh, 1 Kings 4, we're going to break it into uh, bits today. So let's read the first part, verses 1 through 7. So King Solomon ruled over all Israel, and these were his chief officials. Azariah, son of Zadok, the priest. eli and Ahijah, son of Shisha, secretaries. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, recorder. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, commander-in-chief. Zadok and Abiathar, priests. Azariah, son of Nathan, in charge of the district governors. Zabad, son of Nathan, a priest and an advisor to the king. Ahishar, palace administrator. Adoniram, son of Abda, in charge of forced labor. Solomon had 12 district governors over all Israel who supplied provisions for the king and the royal household. Each one had to provide supplies for one month in the year. And these are their names. In verse 8 it tells us, and it goes on, and we're not going to read those because, um, you know, that's just a whole list of who everybody was. And, uh, you know, uh, these are Hebrew names, so... (laughs) <laughs> it wouldn't mean a lot to you anyway. Uh, I've often thought, you know, it, it'd be really hard to read uh, and teach from a genealogy. You know, there's the, it takes a special revelation from the Lord to do that. It also takes a special revelation of the Lord to read all these names and preach those names. So what we have before here, though, that's important, is under Solomon the kingdom of Israel has now gone from this regional power to become a small empire. It's huge compared to what it was. And because of how he led the nation and managed the resources they had, it became what it was. And today we're gonna learn how to lead and manage wisely from what he did here. Uh, Let's just pray and ask God to really bless this uh, portion of scripture to our lives. Lord God, we just thank you. Thank you, Father, that the wisdom that Solomon had, that we might not be that wise, but we can ask you for wisdom and you give it generously to us. Lord, that your word says that we're we're to ask for a spirit of revelation, a spirit of wisdom in our lives. And Father, we pray that we would learn from Solomon this morning, Lord, that nothing, no nuance of scripture here would pass us by. Lord God, we don't want to miss anything you have for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. So to lead and manage wisely, what Solomon's doing here is he's placed people, those first few people that I, I read the names and everything out, those are people in his cabinet. Those are the people he has close in. Those are people in charge of other things in the, in the kingdom. And he placed people in the position they were gifted for. He got the best people he could, priests, secretaries, a recorder, uh, army commander-in-chief, personal advisor, steward of the palace, head of labor and district officers. So he's got people in charge of all these things, so things run well, things run smoothly. And when we're in charge of something, uh, picking the right people is really important. We need to make sure we place the people in the right job. Jim Collins wrote a, a book on organizations called Good to Great, and in it he said that you need the right people on the bus, but you also need them in the right seats. So uh, that's the place that they can be most effective. And all of us have strengths and skills to be able to excel in certain jobs, certain areas. And Solomon did that with his leadership team. He looked at the people and their skill set and then based on that, he picked those people to be in a specific kingdom job. So there's different kinds of skills. These these skills he was looking at were were, uh, a combination probably of all of these. The first ones are technical skills. That's the ability to accomplish a task. Uh, Quantifiable, meaning you can measure how, how, you know, much that skill is, and it's teachable. It's like operating equipment. For example, running the uh, media for the service on Sunday morning, playing the keyboard. Uh, Running video equipment, uh, that's technical kinds of skills. Then there are soft skills. These are people skills, like the ability to fit in, um, how to get along, communicating well, being on time. These are soft skills. These are mostly learned in everyday life. Uh, You don't have to go to college to learn soft skills. And then we also have spiritual gifts, or uh, they're skills, but they're spiritual gifts, meaning they aren't something you can learn or be taught. They're something the Holy Spirit gives you to do when you're baptized in Him. Things like prophecy, leadership, the gifts of healing, Now, true, we can learn to use these better, how to hear the Holy Spirit more when we're using these in ministry, but these gifts are given by the Holy Spirit, and you don't have a list and pick which one you want. The Holy Spirit gives it to you. And the cool thing is that when we're really operating in that gift of the Holy Spirit, our technical skills and our soft skills kind of all line up together, and we become that person God created us to be. 1 Corinthians 12, 6 and 7 says there are different kinds of working. But in all of them, in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So the way God made us with the skills and the gifts that we have, those aren't cause to become proud, but to uh, allow ourselves to be used by God to do His will. Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. So God distributes these things to us, and he's saying, don't be proud, but think of it with sober judgment. Realize where this gift came from. Realize where these abilities came from is from the Lord. And the goal of becoming the people God created us to be is to serve him with all of our heart, our soul, and might, and to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. In our Bible study a couple weeks ago, this last week, like Pastor Steve said, we talked about love, but the week before that we were talking about spiritual gifts. And when you operate within that area of spiritual gift, of that that gifting, there's a blessing not just for you, but for Uh, the body of Christ, because God wants to use you. He has chosen you to do great things for him. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God wants you to listen to his calling and make yourself available to serve. Not only that, he expects you to use the gifts he's given you, Find out what those gifts are. In Matthew twenty-five, fourteen to 30, we're not going to take the time to read it, but that is the story of the, that Jesus told them of the parable of the talents. And it's a parable about the stewardship of the gifts, the grace that God has given to all believers. In the story, uh, when it talks about a talent, a talent is about 75 pounds of coinage and would be equivalent to 15 years of normal wages for one person, it's a lot of money. This was an enormous responsibility for those servants to bear. Uh, the master was leaving on a journey, and to one man he gave 15 talents, so, or five talents, so five times 15, you know, that's, that's a lot of years. Uh, another two talents, and another one talent, so you can see why this man, with if it's equal to 15 years of normal wages for one person, you can see why this man was really concerned, even with just one talent. What happened when the master came back to settle accounts was this. The first two servants had put the money to use, and they had had doubled their amounts. They were able to make a profit, to double what was there. But the servant with one talent hid that talent. He buried it. He was afraid to use it. His talent was taken from him and given to the man who had ten talents. And this parable shows us that Jesus wants us to use those gifts that he has given us, not bury them. So, a question for you again, <clears throat> what are some good things that happen when people use their gifts? Others are blessed. Others are blessed. You find more life. You find more life. The person that uses them gets blessed. The person that uses them gets blessed. People get healed. People get saved. People get filled with the Holy Spirit. People are encouraged. And the will of the Lord is done. An example of someone in Solomon's cabinet who was operating in their gifting is in verse 4 when it's talking about Benaiah, who was appointed to be commander-in-chief of the armed forces. And this was a man who had previously uh, shown that he was gifted by God for being able to fight. And, and he had amazing strength and uh, fighting ability. In 2 Samuel 23, 20 and 21, it says, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzil, performed great exploits. He struck down, Listen to this, Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. So because of the reputation that this man had of fully utilizing the gifts and skills God had given him, Solomon could see, this guy is perfect for the job to be my commander-in-chief. For you today, you need to be, we all need to be available to be in that place that we were created to be, using the gifts that God's placed within us. And learn what those are, learn what your spiritual gifts are, Uh, look for opportunities to use them, and pray for God's guidance on the use of your gifts. So the first thing to wise uh, wise management, the first thing was to uh, place people in the right positions. That the ones they're gifted for. The second thing is to delegate responsibility. This is what we saw Solomon was doing in these verses we just read. He created 12 administrative districts, and this was to increase the tax base and also incorporate territories added to Israel under King David. These were roughly the same uh, uh, allotments as of land as the tribes, but there were actually some differences. A number of them included some non-adjacent Israelite territories that had been taken into the kingdom. So they had to find a way to bring them in. Solomon named each of these 12 districts after the chief officer. It's kind of interesting, you know. It might be fun to be that chief officer and have this district named after you, you know. So each district then, as we found out in verse 7, took turns financing and providing for the kingdom for one month out of each year. Solomon uh, delegated this responsibility to certain areas of the kingdom and to these other people, and he gave them the responsibilities to accomplish. So he was delegating, and the kingdom was running well under this system. Now, according to a Gallup poll, CEOs who do a great job of delegating, which we would say, you know, king, kind of like a CEO of the nation, right? So he's... CEOs that do a great job of delegating says that they generated 33% more revenue than those who didn't. They know that they can't accomplish everything alone, and they position people, their team, to tackle tasks that they're confident that they can achieve. This empowers the employees, it boosts morale, and it increases productivity. I mean, you've probably seen that borne out in uh, your jobs as well so this helps the ceo then not have to focus on all this minutia of detail he can focus on the most important thing he can do which is oversee and grow the company that's kind of what god has in mind with the body of christ if we all do something that god's gifted us to it's not just a few people here and there it's the whole body working together And so what that means is then the body can grow and it can become what God's desired it to be. That's why we have this team mentality of ministry here at South Oaks. We want everyone part of the team in some place. We don't want spectators. We want people to be involved uh, doing their part. So whether we're afoot, or a hand or an eye, we all have a place in the body here at South Oaks, a thing that God has called us to do, to use those gifts and abilities to honor and glorify him and grow the body of Christ. Paul talks about delegating in his letters to show others how to do things and delegate the responsibility. He said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. There was no way that Timothy could do everything in the responsibilities Paul had delegated to him. So Paul said, you need to delegate some of that responsibility to others. In Titus 1.5, it says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The oversight of the work of God in those towns was delegated to those elders. So wise managers, people in the right positions, delegate authority. And then thirdly, a wise manager sets expectations and holds people accountable. They set expectations and then hold people accountable. So why is it important to set expectations? So you know what to work for yeah that's really it uh how do you know if you've hit the mark otherwise <laughs> uh, you know what's expected of you you know what you're supposed to be doing let's read a little more about what solomon's kingdom was like in first kings 4 let's read 20 to 27 the people of judah in israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore they ate they drank and they were happy And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines. As far as the border of Egypt, these countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subjects all his life. Solomon's daily provisions were 30 cores of the finest flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 head of stall-fed cattle, 20 of pasture-fed cattle, and 100 sheep and goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebucks, and choice fowl. For he ruled over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates River, from Tipshaw to Gaza, and had peace on all sides. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. Solomon had 4,000 stalls of chariot horses and 12,000 horses. The district governors, each in his month, supplied provisions for King Solomon and all who came to the king's table. They saw to it that nothing was lacking. They also brought to the proper place their quotas of barley and straw for the chariot's horses and other horses. Okay, so it tells us here that the kingdom stretched from the Euphrates River to Egypt, including the southern coast of Israel, And what's interesting, when you read the description of this uh, size of the nation, this is one of the few times in Israel's history when all of the territory promised to Abraham in the covenant that God made with Abraham was actually under the control of the nation. Solomon also had allies in northern Syria, in the Transjordan region, and also in the entire eastern Mediterranean. He was a good king. Each of the 12 districts, as we said, were responsible to bring uh, provisions for the kingdom in that month that that they had each year. And there were daily provisions to supply. So they had to probably bring more than one time during that month uh, to make sure that all the daily provisions were there as well. And this was clearly set out for the people and they would be held accountable to it. They knew those daily provisions And they could say, those are the expectations right there, the expectations of what you will bring. And that was a lot of stuff. Uh, The daily provisions for Solomon uh, were incredible here. Uh, How many of you bake or know how much a cup is? Okay, 30 cores of flour is 28,800 cups. 60 cores of meal, which is coarsely milled grain, so it's probably like whole wheat kind of stuff, you know, um, was, uh, that is 57,600 cups. That's an amazing amount of flour and meal. That'd be several bags, right? Uh, (laughs) Then 10 stall-fed cattle, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep and goats, deer, gazelles, roebucks, which are kind of an Asian deer, uh, choice fowl, and their quota of barley and straw for the horses. It tells us that there's 4,000 stalls of chariot horses, plus there's another 12,000 horses. It seems like Solomon had a lot of food and horses for the kingdom, right? <laughs> Until you see that this was for the king and his household, it's not just for a few people, it's also for the royal guard and a large number of officials and their families. When I think about this uh, number of horses, when we lived in France, we visited the Palace at Versailles, which was built by Louis XIV. And he reigned from 1643 to 1750. He was like this amazing king in France. Uh, this is an awesome building with opulent furnishing. It has a hall of mirrors. And when we're in that, let me just tell you, it looks even more amazing than it does in the picture. It's incredible, and it's huge. And nearby, like across the street kind of, you walk up to the palace on all these pavers, but when you come back down, which is quite a ways down to the street, and cross over the street, on that other side is La Grande Écurie, which are the royal stables that once housed 2,000 horses, okay? Nobility traveled from all over the world to learn a mixture of dressage, ballet, and fencing. But as grand as this is, as grand as this was in Louis XIV time, Solomon's kingdom eclipsed it by so much. 2,000 horses versus 4,000 and 12,000. I mean, can you imagine the size of those stables? (laughs) It probably took up a square mile, right? I mean, it was huge. So his wealth and his rule were evidence of someone who was ruling wisely. The large number of horses, why did he have so many? Well, because it shows that at this time, Israel's army is now a well-equipped fighting force. He needed to delegate. He had to set expectations for the kingdom to run well. And even with family or ministry or jobs for us, when we're in charge, it's important to let people know what the expectations of the job are. You know, maybe even write them down if it's a job uh, at at home. Maybe if you're delegating to someone in the family, maybe you don't need to write it down, but sometimes you do. Because people might want to know later, what, what was that again? And so when you write it down, they have it. And they can regularly review those expectations and know what's required of them. Like we said before, they need to know if they hit the mark. And then there is something that you can hold them accountable to. If you're their boss, you can say, well, it says right here. Okay, 1 Corinthians 4.2, Paul said, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. When we're given uh, a responsibility, we need to prove faithful. 2 Corinthians 13.10 said, This is why I write these things when I'm absent that when I come I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not tearing you down. So Paul's saying, I'm writing this down so you know what the expectations are, so you know what, how you should be living the Christian life, what you should be doing to honor God. Now, of course, in a job, if you're working at a job, you have uh, various things depending on, on hitting that mark, of fulfilling those expectations and your pay and promotions the requirements of the job. But even with us, God has expectations of how we will live. He's got commandments for us. Those are He's written down those <laughs> a list of things that he wants us to try to hit the mark with uh, in the Bible for all of us to see. And it shows what we as followers of Christ should be living our lives like. And someday we're held accountable to that as well. Now, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we aren't held accountable for punishment, but for reward. Jeremiah 30, verse 2 says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. Write them down all the words God's spoken to us. So we have that here in the Word of God. We can see these are the things that God wants us to know. These are the things uh, uh, that can help us live our lives as we follow Jesus Christ. So it's important to review it regularly, to know what that is. Solomon's administrative skills reflected his great wisdom for the organization of his cabinet His regional districts, the extent of his royal rations, all these show the splendor of his kingdom. Solomon's wisdom was actually unsurpassed. In verse 20 and verse 25, it tells us that the people were happy. (laughs) Things were running well. What's not to like, right? They were happy. They lived in safety and peace. And then it says that each man had his own fig tree and vine. That's pretty cool. That means everybody had what they needed. Uh, Things were going well, the kingdom was growing. And then let's read the last few verses of chapter 4 here. Verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breath of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else including Ethan the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal. And his frame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish, From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Wow. So God gave Solomon wisdom and insight and a breath of understanding as measureless as the sand. And when you look at the original Hebrew language here, it's very similar to the language in Exodus 31, 1-3. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, from the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. God prepared this man by the power of the Holy Spirit to do the things that God called him to do. And he'll prepare you for your calling too. There is an anointing that you have when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. God gives wisdom and understanding and knowledge and the skills to do the things that he's gifted you to do. On the website for the Harvard Business School, it says for wise managers today, here are some tips. The first is to know what to delegate, because you can't delegate everything. There's some things you just have to do yourself. Uh, Play to the people's strengths. So the the thing that people have the strengths or the gifting for, those are the things they should be doing. Define the desired outcome. And the reason this is important is you need to see how your gift, your gifting fits in in the big picture. You know, the outcome of of something happening. For example, one of my sons uh, used to do video ministry at the church. And... uh, when there was an outreach and we brought people in from the neighborhoods all around and invited them to come in and hear the message of Jesus Christ. This was an outreach that they had video stuff part of, and he did that. And he saw, as there was a call at the end of the service for people to come forward to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, he saw that what he did was part of that big picture of accomplishing outreach to win people to Jesus Christ. Yeah, he was running the video camera, but his piece was just as important as the man on the stage speaking the message, as the people who went out and invited people to come. People need to see how their outcome, how they're part of that desired outcome. Then you need to provide the right resources and level of authority. For example, if you have someone cleaning your house, the level of authority is just to clean in these public areas. They're not supposed to go in your closet. They're not supposed to go in your purse. They're not supposed to go, that's not their level of authority. If you have someone cleaning, they're supposed to be taking those cleaning things, those resources that you give them to use, and clean the house. So for people doing a job, provide the right resources and define that level of authority. Then be patient. People are going to make mistakes. People aren't going to do everything perfectly. Allow for failure. And last, give credit where credit is due. All these things fit with doing delegation, with doing leadership in the church. All of these things apply to that as well. To manage and wisely lead, we need to place people in the right positions, to delegate responsibility, to set expectations and hold people accountable. Solomon was given this incredible gift of wisdom and understanding by God. To say his wisdom was greater than all the wise men in the Near East, like the word said, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt, that's truly saying something. Both regions were known for their collective wisdom. He was greater than, w- wiser than that. He was wiser than these four people, Ethan, Herman, Calcol, and Darda, who I've never heard of anywhere else but here, but apparently they were a big deal back then. They were noted for their intellectual prowess. They were noted as really wise, intelligent people. And Solomon was, had greater wisdom than all four of them. His fame spread to other nations. People came there from all over the world. Kings would send people to go and sit and listen to him talk about all that stuff. And, and say things that were wise and give wisdom to situations. This would be hard to experience and not become proud, to not, not start reading your own press, right? Mm-hmm. And so, we'll see how Solomon did in that way as we continue to follow his story in the next few chapters. Today though, I want to encourage you as we, as we are looking at this chapter on management, it's just not about management, it's about people in the right places doing the things God called them to do. And I encourage us all to be thinking what is it that God's placed within us and are we using it and are we blessing the body of Christ? As we said, we ourselves get blessed when we use those gifts. Are we doing the things God called us to do? Because like that song we sang, you know, if we're not if we're not gone, if we're not passed on to eternity, there's still more for us to do. Would you stand with me as we close today? As we move into the next thing that God has for us here at South Oaks, um, I just encourage you, To be thinking, I mean, there was a powerful presence of God in the service today. People here are praying for God to move and work and do amazing things. And as we come to this next part of what God has for us here at South Oaks, what giftings, what abilities does God have that he's placed in you, that he wants you to use to honor and glorify him and help build this body of Christ, not just here, but the global body of Christ. We need to not just think we're done because we're over 60 or 40 or whatever age you think you're done after. Um, We need to know that God has called us and appointed us and anointed us for this time. And we need to be willing to do what he's called us to. Would you bow your head as we close here? Maybe you've been sitting on the sidelines. Maybe you're not using your gifts and abilities to benefit the body of Christ. Or maybe you haven't been able to over the past year, but I'm telling you now, today, uh, a fresh, a new, new for the first time, whatever it is, if you wanna commit today to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to use those gifts to serve him, please just raise your hand right now. Thank you. In a little bit here, we're gonna uh, have you come forward and be anointed. And prayed over to uh, that God would use that gift in you and and aw- and awaken it uh, to the level um, that it should be used at. And we're going to pray for you that God brings that forth, so you can use what God has placed within you to serve Him and glorify Him. Lord God, we just thank you for what you've done here today in our hearts. Lord, thank you for your incredible presence in this service lord god we just want more we want more of you lord god that you would not uh think that we just want just this much lord we want as much as you want to pour out on us heavenly father during the week as we spend time with you would you just touch our hearts touch our minds Thank you, Father, that you've given us gifts within us, and Lord, as we've been refreshed and renewed this morning, Lord, and recommitted ourselves to use those gifts for you. Lord God, give us opportunity. Give us wisdom and know how and where, and and, uh, Lord God, that we would not hold the Holy Spirit back. Lord, we want to do what you've called us to each day. Thank you, Father, that we get to be part of what you're doing here on earth, and we praise your mighty name for what you're doing in us. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with every good thing that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.